37. He's preached this message about Jesus. And when the people heard this in verse number 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, we get it now. What is our response to all of this? Peter responds with this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he gives them clear-cut instructions. He says, number one, repent. Change the direction in which your life is flowing. Okay, change the direction that you're pursuing. Now, most of us in our world today, we could characterize our world in one word. What would it be for you? Wicked, okay. <laughs> That's on the dark side. Okay, it could be wicked. What else? What would characterize the people of our world? Chaotic, Chaotic? okay, yeah. It's, it, and the more polarized we become as a nation, the more chaotic things get. Isn't that true? Okay, now we know the solution to polarization is what? Let's define some clearly held, mutually accepted values that we can all rally around as a nation. Okay, that's the solution. Now, how else would you describe the nation today, people in the nation today? I would use the word selfish. Selfish. People are selfish. And so when Peter here says to the people, repent, in our world today, it would be repent from what? Repent from my selfishness. Now, we get bombarded day in and day out with messages that say what? You're the most important thing in the universe. You know, you are the most valuable thing in the universe. In fact, we teach our children that they can do anything, right? We raise them up to believe they can do anything. Now, is that true? No, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so we probably want to tailor our message a little bit better to that so that people in the world around us know, you know, there's things I can do beyond myself, but it will need to incorporate the power of God. And so now at the day of Pentecost, here comes the Holy Spirit empowering the apostles to do things far beyond what their physical capabilities, their mental capabilities are. And so therefore, they have this chance to jump up a little bit and be somewhat more significant than they would be without God. So he says, number one, repent. Change your ways. Change the direction of your life. Change this selfish motivation. He says this, repent, number one. Change the direction. Follow God and be baptized. Now, what's the goal of baptism? A lot of people say it washes away your sins. And that's a good kind of visual image, but it really doesn't do that. Jesus' forgiveness is what washes away your sins. But baptism is a symbol now, if you've seen baptism, we've done numerous baptisms here at, at the church, actually over at Kay and Gus's house in their pool. Uh, but when people come down into the water, what do they represent? Their old life characterized by what? Sin. Okay, sin and, you know, I, I almost equate sin and selfishness together. You know, my selfishness is an indication of my sin nature. And so sin and selfishness come down into the water and it goes under the water. What does going under the water represent? Death. Okay, just as Jesus was dead and was buried, so we are buried too in Christ in baptism. We go under the water representing our death to sin. We don't want to sin any longer. Okay, we don't want it to have power over us. So we die to it. Jesus was in the tomb how long? Three days. So you should stay under the water? Three days. days. You know, I have a, uh, there's, there's a famous pastor that goes around. He says, you know, when I baptize, I always tell people, the deeper the sin, the deeper the dunk. You know, I don't know. And anyway, you go into the water, not three days, but it does, it's representative of dying to, to self and to, and to sin. And then you're raised to walk a new life, just as Jesus was resurrected. That's the picture of baptism. So he says, number one, repent, change your ways, 
be baptized to symbolize this new repentant life. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the bonus. You're going to receive what we received. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will empower you to do far more than you can do on your own. Okay, number 39, he says, the promise is for you and your children and of all who are far off, all for all whom the Lord our God will call. Okay, now how, what do you know about the call of God? Who does God call and who does, not, who does God not call? Jesus says, you know, that, that if I die uh, and I be lifted up, he's talking about this in the future, he talks about it in the, in the Gospel of John. He says, if I die and I be lifted up, will call all men to myself. Okay? And he also says that unless God calls you, you really don't have the faith dispensed to you to be able to respond to that call. So I believe that there's a point in time in everybody's life where God dispenses this graceful faith that gives you the opportunity to respond to his call. Not everybody gets called at the same time, but there's a call of God that makes the circumstances right, that makes your head right so that you can believe in Christ Jesus. So he says this, uh, and he says that this promise is for you, your children, and everybody who's going to be called by God. Now, number uh, 40. Uh, many, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He begged them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, if you've heard, been around very much here, you know that in this period of time between the Old Testament prophets becoming silent and Jesus arriving on the scene, the religious system of Judaism had become very corrupt. In fact, the, the priests had been involved in, in money laundering, really. Uh, they were taking a cut of the profits of everybody that came to sell uh, things in the temple, and they uh, orchestrated who was going to be the next uh, uh, temple uh, uh, priest. And so, therefore, they, they could garner all of this money, and it was very, very corrupt. Uh, God had been pretty silent for 400 years after the Old Testament prophets until Jesus arrives. And so things have become very corrupt. And Peter mentions that. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, here's the result in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, we're going to take a look at this, and we're going to find out this, what, what it means to be initiated into the kingdom of God, or initiated into the church. How many of you have ever, ever been initiated into some organization, or some fraternity, or sorority, or something like that? You know, you have to go through this rite of passage, don't you? You have to go through a certain initiation thing. You might have to memorize some stuff. You might have to learn some history. You might have to do some crazy stuff, you know, and I, I, you see some some blurbs on TV every now and then about uh, kids being initiated into fraternities and they have to do this really stupid stuff and uh, they suffer the consequences of that. But I want you to know that to be initiated into something is important and to be initiated into the church is vital and it's essential for you to receive power in order to minister. And so we're going to look at the four initiation rites that we find in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Now here's the things. Number one, persistently learn the Bible. That's an initiation, right? You don't know what to do if you don't know what to do. Makes sense, doesn't it? What to do is described in the Bible. What to do, how to do it, through whom to do it. A lot of times we just look at the Bible as knowledge, okay? We want to find out some facts. We want to, might want to wow some friends at, at church, or we might want to impress some people at the workplace, or maybe our family, and do a lot of stuff like that. And so we learn some stuff about the Bible. Now, 
the purpose of learning the Bible is living the Bible. Okay? Don't just know stuff about the Bible if you're not going to learn to live the Bible. And that's why I say here, don't study the Bible. Don't persistently study the Bible. But I want you persistently to learn the Bible. And there's a difference there. And I, I'm going to make a, a real, I might make it my own difference. You know, you might not go to the dictionary and find this difference there. But learning the Bible is living the Bible. Knowing what it says and letting it flow out through your life so that you can live what it says. It says in Acts 2.42, the very first part, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this word devoted means they persistently adhered to it. They persistently pursued it. They did it with, with energy. They did it with, with all of the verver that they could muster up. They persistently did this. Now, it's not just some casual thing that did every now and then or go to Sunday school on Sunday or do a Bible study during the week. They did this every day. They wanted to learn something new every day so that they could be more in tune with where the Holy Spirit was leading them. Dwight L. Moody, famous pastor of of the ages gone by, said this, the Bible wasn't given for our information, but for our transformation. Okay, It's not given for you just to have knowledge about it, but it's given to you so you can be transformed. Now, transformed is different than changed, isn't it? Have you ever thought about transformation versus change? Change is making a better version of you. We hear that a lot today. You know, a better version of you. You know, transformation is making a different you. You know, something that doesn't resemble the old thing, not a better version, but a completely transformed thing. Uh, You ever see butterflies become butterflies? What were they before they were a butterfly? Okay, a caterpillar. I like to say a worm. Okay, they're a worm. Okay, and before that, and then does it, are, are butterflies a better caterpillar? Did they grow a couple extra legs? Do they have a little more hair? Do they, you know, uh, can they move a little quicker? No, they're completely transformed. They are different. What once crawled on the ground now flies in the air. Okay, what once is kind of an ugly thing. And, I, you know, no, no offense to those of you who love caterpillars. Uh, you know, I know we live in a very animal-sensitive environment. Uh, but, but I mean no offense to that. But caterpillars, you compare a caterpillar to a butterfly, it's no comparison, right? You wouldn't say, oh, look at that flying caterpillar. You know, you don't say that. It's a complete transformation. And that's what the, the Bible is intended to do to us. Not for somebody to say, oh, look, doesn't Pastor Mike act better now? No, doesn't he act completely different? You know, and that might be good or bad, but you have to make that assessment yourself. But It's designed for our transformation, to make us completely different than we were before. Now, how are we different? Do we look different? No, we pretty much have the same physical, you know, stuff. Uh, What's different about us? I'm going to say that the best thing that's different for us, there's two things. Number one is our desires. Our desires change. What we want change. Okay? What, what, What I wanted before I repented was what? I wanted comfort, I wanted recognition, I wanted wealth, I wanted whatever it is that brings me recognition and brings me satisfaction, and it's all about me, right? That's what I wanted before. Now what do I want? Well, I'm transformed. I want the benefit of people outside of me. And that's really one of the hallmarks of the Christian church, is that it's designed to affect the people outside of itself to make their lives better, to include them so that they can come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ and so that their lives can be transformed as well. Okay, What else gets transformed? Not just my desires, but my attitudes. 
how I feel about people. Before, when I, before I repented, what did I think about other people? Well, they were most of the time just in my way. You know, when I'm on the freeway, especially, you know, they're just in my way. Okay? They might be tools for me to use to get to where I want to go. Okay? I might step on them to get success. And I might use them as a ladder in the corporate world in order to gain the achievements that I want to achieve there. Now, when I repent, though, how do I view people? I view people as the creations of God. And the blessings of God have been upon them. And they need to know, they need to know God who has created them. And so I become very concerned about their success, not just in the, in the, in the working world, but their success in the spiritual world. And so I want them to have all the success that they can, and I'm willing to sacrifice for that. That's the change in attitude that we have. People are no longer just tools to be used, but they're people in whom we can invest. We can invest our spiritual resources in them. So persistently learn the Bible. Don't just know facts about the Bible. Persistently learn what is required of you in order to live in a biblical manner. Number two, the second initiation rite is pursue close mutual relationships. Okay, it says here in Acts, the second part of Acts 2.42, it says they were devoted not only to the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted to fellowship. Okay, now what is fellowship? You know, I, I was like, you know, when I was a kid and we were going to, we, we didn't experience fellowship. We had a fellowship. Okay? And whenever they said, hey, we're going to have a fellowship, I immediately went into eat mode. Okay? I know there's going to be food there. And man, I know the ladies that bring the best food. You know? And I'm going to tap into that, and I'm going to be one of the first kids in line in order to get the best that there is. Okay? Fellowship was all about food. Now, food is an important factor, isn't it? In fact, we're going to get to that here in a minute. But fellowship is far more than just eating together and sharing some time together. Fellowship is built around sharing what is common among you, okay? What is common among us? If we're a church and we're believers in Jesus Christ, what is common among us? Okay, God or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That's what fellowship is. So when we get, to, when we really fellowship, you know, we, and I, I'm not opposed to eating, don't get me wrong there, but when we really fellowship, we're talking about what God has done in my life what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. And when we talk on that level, it gets pretty intimate, doesn't it? In fact, it gets a little bit scary if you're not really tuned into God. So that's why we need to have fellowship with other people because not all of us are at the same place, are we? In this relationship with God and this relationship with the Holy Spirit and this feeling that we can communicate that with each other. We're not all there, are we? That's why we need to spend time together. Now, coming to church on Sunday morning, I want you to keep doing that, but I want you to carve out some time where you can get together with believers outside of this building. Okay, get together with them. And that leads us to number three. Well, here, let me, let me just talk about close mutual relationships. What is, rela- what is the biggest relationship killer in our day and age today, do you think? Electronics. Oh. Narcotics? Okay. No, electronics. Oh, electronics. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Hi, my name is Mike. <laughs> she said electronics. I heard narcotics. I can't wait to say, yeah, I hope I get some feedback on the internet when somebody hears this on the internet. I don't know. But anyway, 
Electronics. That's true. What is electronics significant? Of? What's it significant about that? What's it indicative of? Addiction. Okay. And selfishness. Selfishness. I want to withdraw to my own little thing, and I want to be entertained, and I want to be, you know, I don't want you to mess with me. So I, I believe electronics. Second to electronics is narcotics, of course. Uh, but, but I think the second thing that has really damaged our nation relationally is the sexual revolution. You know, I think that we have cheapened a lot of stuff about intimacy in relationships. We have, we've gotten to a point where, you know, when, when you talk about sex, it's just like, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. And you, our, our nation is, has gotten very graphic in its expression, and it has desensitized us to intimacy. And we've replaced intimacy with sex. And I'm going to tell you that it has affected the church as well. And I, I just have a little chart here with some things. It says, um, percentage who agree or strongly agree that viewing pornography is okay. Church-going Christians who support single-sex marriage, 33.4% say it's okay. A third say it's okay. No big deal. Okay. Um, premarital cohabitation, okay, living together before you're married, church-going Christians who support uh, uh, single, uh, same-sex marriage, I'll get it right here in a minute, Uh, premarital cohabitation is okay, 37.2%, almost four out of ten say living together is okay. Uh, Church-going Christians who support uh, same-sex marriage, no strings attached sex is okay, 33%, 33%, a third, okay? Church-going Christians who support same-sex marriage, uh, couples with kids should stay married except if abused. Strongly agree and agree, 33.5%. Marital infidelity is sometimes okay. 7.5% of church-going Christians, this is not just Christians, but church-going Christians say it's okay. It's okay for three-plus adults to live in a sexual relationship. 15.5% of church-going Christians. Okay? Uh, I support abortion rights. Okay, I support abortion rights. Church-going Christians, 39.1%. Okay, now, I'm here to tell you that the sexual revolution has not only changed the culture of our nation, it's changed the culture of the church. You know, and we think no longer, we think no longer about a transcendent God who gives me directions for my relationships, but now we think about what is most convenient? What is most, uh, what, what fits my mood right now? What, what do I think I need to achieve right now? And how can I be best satisfied right now? Roots back to what? Selfishness. Selfishness is corrupting our, our close relationships. Now, if you are in a church you need to have good relationships with people that you respect. That you respect their lifestyle, you respect their values, you respect their opinions. Get together with people like that and let them rub off on you. Ask questions about things like this. Why is, and I would welcome people to get together and ask a question like this. Why is viewing pornography harmful? You know, why is that harmful? Let's just have a discussion in church about that sometime or in a small group or over dinner sometime with people that you value their opinion. Now, you might not change your opinion, 
but you certainly need some information so that your opinion can be founded on something that is just more than what myself wants. Okay? So pursue close mutual relationships. And I can talk forever on that. But number three, frequently share a meal. Now, where does all of this fellowship happen? It could happen right over a meal. We could share our beliefs about God. We could share the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing in our lives, over a meal. It says in Acts 2.42, the third part of it, it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread means that they're taking some meal, they're taking some food, they're dividing it up, and they're eating it. It also could mean that they were experiencing communion together, which we know they did as well. But... We need to share a meal with people who have little. Okay, there's a reason for this. Number one, for people who have little. In the church, what we'll find here in a minute is that there were some people who had stuff and there were people that didn't have stuff. And I hope that's true of our church here today too. I hope there's people who have stuff and people who don't have stuff because that's where we get a chance to share a meal. Okay, now, so share a meal with people who don't have much. Also, share a meal with whom you value and you want to go on the journey of faith with them. Okay? And, and get together and have a meal. Uh, don't, here's one thing not to do. Don't say, hey, I want to have a meal with you and I want you to pay. Okay? <laughs> or maybe, oh, let, let me reel that back in. Maybe if there's a true need, hey, I'd like to have a meal with you. I'm hungry. I don't have anything to eat with. You know, what if somebody said that to you? What would you say? Hey, I can hook you up. Okay, now, we're going to observe communion today because I think that's one of the things that will help us bond together. When we have the communion together, what we're saying is we're sharing in this thing of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in me and lives in you. And I want to connect with that. And it goes back to in my roots. This connection of the Holy Spirit goes all the way back to this time where Jesus died on a cross and he paid the penalty for my sin. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody ever pay for you before. You know, when you committed a crime and they took the heat maybe or they paid the fine for you. Uh, you know, you don't want to escape responsibility, but you might need somebody to help you shoulder that burden at the time. And that's what Jesus did for us. He shouldered the burden. He paid the cost. There was a cost involved of our sinfulness. And Jesus knew what that cost was. You know what the cost of sinfulness is? Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation. That's the price. And Jesus said, I love you too much for that. I love you so much that I don't want you to experience that eternal separation from God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pay for you. And I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I believe that Jesus experienced three days of separation from God. As he's hanging on the cross, he gets into the beginning of that. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Oh, and I think immediately it probably came to Jesus. And said, because you're paying for people you love. You're paying the sacrifice that they would have to pay. And, you know, it says with joy he went to the cross in the book of Hebrews. And I think he knew the joy that comes from loving people to the point of sacrifice like that. And so today we're going to observe communion and we're going to give you two elements. Number one, we're going to give you some grape juice. Number two, we're going to give you some unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread represents the body of Christ, which was given for you. The cup of juice represents the blood that he shed. In Hebrews, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So I'm going to ask for a couple of three or four, 10 or 12, 15 volunteers to help me pass out communion. Actually, I need two. Okay, I've got one. I got one. 
I got one, got two, got three, got four. Okay, if you guys could distribute those for me. Um, it'll take a minute here, so, so be patient. Now, when you come to communion, I think there's an important element of preparation for communion, don't you? I think sometimes we come to communion and we might see it just as a ritual or as an act or, or you know, a little cracker and a little juice and it might not have too much significance to us. But I believe that when we come to a time like this, it's a time for us to get right with God. And I know that in my life, there's things that crowd out God, the things that compete for his attention. And sometimes distraction sets in. I don't know if distraction has set in for you, but sometimes we get so bogged down with maybe politics. We get so bogged down with just life, you know, the routine of life. We get so bogged down with relationships, whether they be good or bad. You know, good can distract from God just as much as bad relationships can distract from God. But I pray today that we'll spend a little bit of time uh, in prayer before we take communion. And so I'm going to ask you as, you know, kind of keep one eye open as they pass that out. But close the other eye and, and let's pray for a moment and get our hearts right before God. Father, we bow before you today. And Lord, I thank you that you've done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Lord, we could not overcome our own selfishness and sinfulness. Lord, I pray that you will speak to each one of us, maybe about the distractions that we've allowed to come into our lives that are preventing us, even maybe right now, from experiencing you completely and fully. Lord, I pray that we would confess our sin to you, that we would have a clean slate, Lord, that we'd have that burden of guilt lifted from us through the confession of sin. And Lord, that we would be righteous people, made right with you. Lord, I pray that as a result of that, we would do right. One of the things we know that you've asked us to do is observe communion. As often as we do this, do it in remembrance of you. And so, Lord, we want to remember you. Lord, we remember that you went to a cross to die for us. We remember that you loved us so much that you wouldn't let anything stand in the way. Lord, we remember that you taught us how to live. Lord, we remember that you empower us now to be able to achieve that life of righteousness. Lord, we remember that sometimes we let our humanity get in the way and become an excuse. But Lord, we also remember that you have told us that we can do all things through you who gives us strength. And so, Lord, today we remember and we give you praise and glory and honor. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. I believe everybody has the elements. Oh, you guys don't. If you don't, just raise your hand and we will chastise severely those who are passing that out. Okay. We will wait patiently. Okay, everybody has it out. I need a little help. It says on the night Jesus was betrayed, we know that Judas was the betrayer. On the night that he was betrayed, he took some of the leftover Passover feast. He took the bread and he passed it around and he told the disciples, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. It says, and likewise, he took the cup. 
And there's leftover wine. If you know anything about the Seder dinner, there's several cups of wine and several occasions and during the dinner that they take that wine. He took some of the leftover wine and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord, we remember you today. Communion is probably one of the greatest acts of worship a person can, can experience. Because essentially what it says is, Lord, I'm taking Jesus inside of me. I'm taking Jesus to be in me, to empower me, to hold me accountable, to give me power to live. And so therefore, it's the, the power of God in us that we take communion. The fourth thing, the initiation rite that we experienced, that the apostles experienced was, Always be listening to, always be listening for or talking to God. We know that the Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Have you ever wondered how that happens? How do you pray without, you know, constantly? How do you do that? Well, that's because we think that prayer is a one-way street. And prayer is simply talking to God, right? That's what we think. However, I want you to spend 90% of your time listening for him listening to him, because that's where life changes. So many times we think that prayer is me telling God what needs to be changed in my life and him having to do it all by himself. I want you to spend less time asking for stuff and more time asking to be like God. Okay, give me the qualities, give me the character, give me the vision, give me, give me the eyes to see the world around me like you do. And it's going to be surprising to you how often God will answer that prayer. We need to take our prayer life to the next level. So always be listening for God. And I think that's one of the things that we don't practice very well. There's a book called Practicing the Presence of God, an outstanding book. And it talks about living your life every moment, realizing that you are in the presence of God. Where is God? He's everywhere. And you can't go anywhere where he is not. And so therefore, practice being in his presence. You know, you might have to clean up your act a little bit. You know, when you realize, uh, you know, if God's here, I better act like, uh, you know, he sees me. And I remember my mom used to use that as a big guilt trip for me. Remember, God can see everything you do. I remember one time my friend across the street, we were probably seven or eight years old, and uh, he had a habit of, of just, when he had to go to the restroom, he would just go in the backyard. You know, guys do. You know, the world is our toilet. Uh, but... Uh, but he would do that, and his mom would get so mad at him, you know, so mad. And she'd say, you know, come in the house and use the restroom. And uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't. And so finally she put him on a guilt trip. She said, now, Ricky, I know, I know every time that you pee in the backyard. I know every time because an angel tells me. And so one day she's, you know, we're in the backyard there and, and we're playing. And we used to build these Disneyland theme things, you know, like the Adventureland. And we'd dig canals and fill them with water and have islands and stuff. And he's out there and goes, man, I got I to gotta pee. And, I, and he, so he goes over in the corner there in the, where he goes and, and he pees. And it was right underneath the window where his mom was. And his mom, his mom goes, Ricky, you get in this house right now. And he looked up in the sky and he goes, blabbermouth. <laughs> he truly believed an angel had ratted him out. You know, and we do that, don't we? We believe that God is everywhere, 
but he's always looking for something bad that we're doing. I want you to know that God is everywhere and he's looking for opportunities that you can serve him in. He wants you to do good in places. He wants you to be recognized. He wants you to recognize the opportunities around you. He wants to empower you to accomplish those things. So God's looking for stuff and he's waiting for you to listen for him. He's saying, hey, see that lady over there? She needs help with her groceries, putting them in her car. Help her. He's waiting for somebody to listen for that. And there are people here today that are very good at hearing God do that stuff. There's somebody parked on the side of the road. They're going to change a tire. Maybe we should help them. I remember preaching this message one time at a previous church. And, uh, and I was going to, to lunch right afterwards. Cindy and I and the kids were all in the car. And we're, going, and we're turning onto a street. And there's a lady, and she's coasting through the, red, uh, through the green light, and I'm stopped at the red light. She coasts through and parks over at the side of the road. She's got a carload of kids. They're all dressed up. They just came from church. And she had just run out of gas. You know, it was obvious. You go, bah, 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 over to the side of the road. And I thought to myself, I just preached a message about helping people. But, man, am I hungry. <laughs> you know? And, boy, I've got, I got my kids here. I need to get them something to eat. Cindy, she's got to get something to eat. I need something to eat. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and here's a guy right behind me from my church. I'll never forget, it was Dave Worthen right behind me. And I'm going, and I, so I think two things. I think two things, because I'm a, I'm a crafty thinker. I think, number one, Dave will help her. Number two, I can get to lunch. So I pull over and help her and um, call AAA and get her all squared away with gas and everything. And Dave goes on to lunch. (laughs) Now, yeah, it's all right, because God was whispering in my ear, not in his ear. And so sometimes when you're in a place like that, God whispers in your ear. And if we're not tuned into God and we're not used to hearing God, we don't hear him. So get tuned into God and always be listening for him and on occasion, talk to him. On occasion, talk to him. You know, let him know what a good job he's doing. Let him know how much you love him. Let him know how much you adore him. Let him know how much you count on him. Let him know that kind of stuff. And stay away so much from, and you know, God, you know, I'm not sleeping very good. Could you give me a good night's sleep? Maybe we should pray. God, help me work out a little more, and I'll get a good night's sleep. I don't know. But, but be devoted to prayer. Now, there's going to be some results of this, and I want to go through them real fast, okay? Uh, Some results of this initiation. Okay, remember, four things of initiation. Number one, persistently learn the Bible. Number two, pursue close mutual relationships. Three, share a meal together. Four, always be listening for or talking to God, okay? That initiates you now into this realm where you can do ministry. If you do those four things, now you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're tuned into God. You can hear. You can respond. You're empowered. You can do ministry now. Now, here's the results of of the initiation. Number one, you will have awe at the power of God. You'll have awe. Every once in a while, when you pull over to help the lady that just ran out of gas, you'll go, that was just the right thing to do. You know, she was blessed by that. And she was so thankful for that. And her kids were just overwhelmed that somebody would stop and help them. That was awesome. Not so much that you feel so good about that, but you have awe that God would use you to bring something good to somebody else's life. Okay, it says this in Acts 2.43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now they were now where did the wonders and signs come from? They came from the power of God. 
God gave them power to do those things. Everybody went, wow. Okay. Now, today, what I want us to do is I want us to experience the power of God. We have a lady in our church that, uh, that has had a severe accident. Okay, Nancy, you've had a severe accident, have you? You fell, you broke your shoulder, and yeah, and you had a complete shoulder replacement. And you're struggling, aren't you? Okay, and you ended up with staph infection. Okay, now I'm going to ask us to pray for the power of God, that God would heal Nancy. She has asked for this. She's asked that we would pray that uh, she would be healed. She wants to go home. She can't, she can't go home because she, she really can't quite completely care for herself. And so she wants to be able to go home. And so I'm going to ask us to pray today. And if you would like to gather around Nancy right now, okay, feel free to stand up, move around. Do whatever you want. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Now, don't hurt her, okay? <laughs> don't hurt her. I know, I know that you want, to, you want to put your hands on her, and please feel free to do that. But I'm going to ask God to really do something miraculous. Father, we bow before you today. Lord, your word teaches us that when we need healing, that we're to call the elders of the church and, Lord, to pray. And so, Lord, that's what we're doing. We're praying in response to your word. And I pray that you would heal Nancy right now. I pray that you would give her full mobility of her shoulder. I pray that you would give her strength. I pray that the staph infection would be completely gone. I pray that your power would be made known to those people who know her situation. Lord, we don't ask this selfishly just so that Nancy benefits. But, Lord, I pray that the people who know her would benefit most because their faith would be made strong. Their faith in you would be, would be rock solid because we have seen you do something mighty and miraculous. And so, Lord, today we ask for her healing. Lord, we ask that you would have impact her family with that, with her daughter and her son-in-law. Lord, I pray that their lives would be drawn to you because of this. And so, Lord, today we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. We ask that you do something that we cannot do for ourselves. We rely upon you. And we give you praise and glory and honor for it. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we're going to have awe at what God does. We're going to have awe at what God does in the lives of people that we pray for. We're going to have awe at his power in our own lives to change us from this selfish people to giving people. Okay. Number two, we'll experience community. When we eat together and we have community fellowship and when we have uh, this, this spiritual fellowship with people, we're going to get connected in ways that shows community. Now, community is good for people in it, isn't it? Okay. And if you've ever been involved in a community of people who really are connected, it's really an awesome, awesome thing. Now, if you've ever seen community like that, you're kind of attracted to it, aren't you? You go, man, I, you know, have, have you ever gone to somebody's house and their family is just really close to you know, and they, they have family night every week, you know, the, the kids are all married and they have kids of their own and they have kids of their own. You know, one of the greatest things that lately is Kay's family. You know, I just love her family. Uh, her mom passed away not long ago. And uh, just being able to see her family, you know, and to hear about the family nights and everybody getting together, everybody doing this thing and the close knit family that they have. I say, man, there's something that's been created there that only God could do. And God, through her mom, did that. So I want us to have a church that's characterized by that kind of thing, where we know, we're kind of tuned to see somebody who say, everything okay with you? 
do you need some help? Do you, do you want me to pray for something about you know, the, your experience? Can I, can I give you a hand? You know, we need to be able to be able to have that kind of community. It says in Acts 2, 44, 46, and 47, first part, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They knew stuff about each other. They knew each other's business. Now, I know we live in a private society, don't we? And, and people, people, just don't need, people just don't need to know my business. Uh, I have a dear friend. I love this man to death. Uh, and I want to help him all that we can help him. And uh, it, 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 sometimes it's just on the brink of helping him. And, and I'll ask for more commitment from him. You know, and he says, no, I don't want anybody to know my business. Okay, you get a chance. You have the privilege to live a solitary life, but it's a lonely life, and it's a life that I don't know that you really want to pursue. But you can have your privacy, but you can't have intimacy when you have privacy. And that's what community is all about, having the intimacy, having everything in common. It says in verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they got together. Every day. They got together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I want you to circle that last part there, enjoying the favor of all the people. People that were outside of this fellowship, outside of this community, could see what was going on, and they said, man, I approve of that. I like what's going on there. I, want to, I, I, I value that, and I see good coming from it. They had the kind of thing that they enjoyed the favor of people. And that's what church needs to have. Church needs to have the favor of the people who are outside of it because of its reputation. Its reputation for loving each other. Okay, number three. This this is another result of the initiation. Uh, You're going to share personal possessions. You're going to give me the keys to your car. Okay, Acts 2.45, here's here's what they did. This is what the church did. I'm going to just say. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They sold their property and possession. Next week, we're going to see some instance where they were doing this, and they lied about it. So, so they were selling their possessions, and they were giving it to people who had need. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hands, but just think, this is a rhetorical question. How many of you have more stuff than you need? Only in America can an entire industry be made of storing other people's stuff. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, I, I probably most people here have a fridge unit, you know, of stuff that you, I remember one time this girl that we, that we were very close with in our church, uh, she was getting ready to move uh, or go away for a year. And uh, she put all of her stuff in storage. And there's this guy in there in, with his stuff. And he's in there and, and well, good to see that you're moving. This is just temporary. He says, yeah, that's what I said eight years ago. <laughs> Only in America can an entire industry be made storing other people's stuff. We have more than we need. And what did these people do? They sold property. They sold possessions so that they could give to everyone who had need. Now, one of the exercises I think is valuable to do every now and then is to just, as you're going around this next week, whether you're shopping or whether you're visiting family or whatever, just look around and ask yourself two questions. What do those people over there that I see, what do, you th- what do I think they need? You know, and you might say, oh, nothing. Okay, move on. But you might come across some people that you see and they need something. 
They might need a flat tire fix. They might need a tank of gas. They might need uh, some food. They might need whatever. And just ask yourself constantly, what do those people need? Uh, it looks like they're pretty squared away. What do those people over there need? Oh, it looks like they might need this. Might need this. Then ask yourself the next question. What do I have that I could share? Okay. What do they need and what do I have that, they, that I could share? And you'll be surprised. Sometimes you'll say, oh, man, I could help a little bit with that or I could help a little bit with this. And so, therefore, have a giving heart. Share your personal possessions. Number three, uh, number four, uh, here's the final result. You're going to see the church grow. Okay, you're going to see the church grow. Now, here's what happened in verse 47, the last part of it. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I'm not talking about just getting more attendance on Sunday morning. I'm talking about more people getting saved. More people becoming uh, Christians in relationship with Christ, empowered with the Holy Spirit, so that we can duplicate that and multiply that so that more people can know, so that more people can know, so that more people can know. As long as there is one person on this planet, one person in Sassoon, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we need to reach them. And so therefore, where does it all start? It all starts back by being initiated. It starts back by being initiated, persistently learning the Bible. Okay? Practice what you know. And immediately you'll find yourself out there asking the question, what do they need? What do I have? You'll start doing all of that kind of stuff. And pretty soon you're going to start seeing things happen. So persistently learn the Bible. Pursue close mutual relationships. You don't have to travel this thing alone. You don't have to travel the Christian life alone. You can travel in groups. In fact, I think Christians ought to travel in packs. You know, We ought to travel together. We ought to initiate ministry together. Frequently share a meal together, you know, and then always be listening for or talking to God.